Daniel 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of knowledge and are gifted with learning and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become hale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any other magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Thanks be to God and thanks to Cody. How many of you can actually pronounce all those names? Would you give it up for Cody and all of the, the youth we have here?
Thank you. Well, at first look at youth, some people don't understand the depth of what is really there, do they? So we are, we are blessed. In fact, really, after hearing everything that Brian and, and Rob had, we could probably just go home. But sorry, you're going to be stuck with me for about 25 minutes anyway. Well, things aren't always as they seem. And so I am going to ask, before I start into the message, to see if Emily, who was recently baptized, is here. Is she here? Come on up, Emily. You don't have to speak. I just want them to see you face-to-face. She represents, as well as Tristan, to me, what Brian has already said. These youth, by the time they take a commitment like this, have been formed in their family and in the faith here, the faith family. And when a child goes home almost and says, but I... I'm still feeling like, no, I want to do this. I want to take this step of obedience and identify myself with the Lord who has identified himself with me. And you had a family that said, we'll try to make it happen. And they did. So it is, it is this. This is what we need. She went, went back and she said, you know what? I've already given my life to Christ. And she showed and told all of us by her going under the water and saying, yeah, I was buried with Christ too, and I was risen to new life. I'm show and tell. My sins are forgiven, and the Holy Spirit was given to me. Now watch me. Join me on this spiritual journey that you guys have already been a part of. So when you look at little ones as cute as they are, like this, just know a lot has already been happening Things aren't always what they appear. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, empty, empty me of me so that you might fill me, fill me with your spirit so that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart are pleasing to you, my Lord and my Redeemer. May these words fall on open minds and responsive hearts. Amen. Thank you. My church, no, mygrace.church. You can go bring up the scripture there, but also if you want to keep track of where David is and his family, they arrived safely in Israel. They had quite the journey getting there, including a bag, so you don't want to miss reading that. So things aren't always as they seem. <laughs> and there should be coming up a picture that I want you to stare at for a while. Because at first you look and you go, oh, that's nice. There's a little notes around. But I want you to just keep staring. Don't blink. Just keep looking and looking and looking. These are those three-eye magic pictures. You remember those way back when? used to drive some people crazy. If you only have one eye or if you're colorblind, just forget it. I don't want you to be frustrated. You're not going to see it. But for those of you that have both eyes and glasses, at least, keep staring. Somebody tell me what they see pop out. You almost have to go cross-eyed before it pops out. But once it pops out, that 3D, you can't look at it without seeing it again. Does anybody see it? I'll give you a hint. 
an instrument. Say it out loud. Anybody see it yet? You see it? What is it? Oh, you don't see an instrument yet. Okay, she sees a man. This will almost pop out like a 3D picture now. It'll be a dimension. Oh, too much over there for the side? Okay, all right, that's too bad. You could have seen a trumpet. But the point is, when you first look, there's usually something deeper. If you look longer, linger longer, for a deeper dimension to be revealed, things just don't always appear on the surface of what they really are. And this is the book of Daniel. It's a book full of hungry lions, fiery furnaces, kings with unpronounceable names, as you just heard, as well as apocalyptic battles. It's mysterious when you first read it. But as you linger and look deeper, there's a reason, several reasons, I actually picked Daniel 1 for Confirmation Sunday. So let's go through a few of the things. It relates to today. Daniel's book, here are people that have to practice their faith while they're living in a culture that literally is not just ignores their beliefs and values, but downright oppose them. Sound familiar? This is the culture, this is the world our kids are growing up in. This is the culture we're sending them out to live into and to change the world. First chapter of Daniel also provides a very much of an overarching theme for the entire book. And that is people actually practice their faith while living in a culture that does this, that opposes things. And the theme then is that no matter what it looks like at first, God is in control. And he does give his people the ability to be faithful and to prosper in the midst of all of that. But it doesn't always look like that at first notice. This is the God that Daniel and his friends are going to hang on to, the one that they know is in control. Now, Daniel was just barely a teenager when he went into this. That's what scholars think. So maybe 13, maybe 13, 14 at the most, barely a teen, three years, 13 to 16 years old. Now, there's a lot of decisions that Daniel had to make for being so young. But it's kind of like this church family. You heard them say about Mel and Lucy and families. There's a lot of things that are happening before he was a teenager. How else would Daniel have such a strong inner character and devotion? It just didn't happen at the time that he turned 13. My guess is He was so formed in the faith in the Jewish family, as well as his faith traditions, his faith family, temple, all those kinds of things, that he, though, was one like our youth here, and like our little Tristans and our Emilies, too, where they actually had spiritual practices. I know you guys talk about spiritual disciplines. When you're talking to really young kids, when they think discipline, it doesn't sound good. So sometimes I might refer them maybe spiritual enthusiasms, okay? Because we're enthusiastic to get to know somebody like God and to have a deeper relationship with him. 
But whatever those disciplines or enthusiasms or practices are, they become like, I don't know if it was this service or the last service. It's like brushing your teeth. It becomes a habit. So we want healthy habits, but we want holy habits. And that's what your ministry in children's and your youth ministry with Ryan is doing. And I'm sure you're doing that too. So these guys must have had what they call a rhythm of life or a rule of life. But it's just a way to enable them to pay attention to God. To give him time and space. To do what only he can do inside them. That's the transformation. We can't try harder and get our transformation. We just show up and give God the time and space to do that. So they had a regular rule. We know that Daniel had certain times that he prayed. Now this time, though, it's kind of interesting. He was the best. He was the brightest. I think all of us can think that our youth is the best and the brightest also. He had the potential, but he was a captive. So his greatest potential, supposedly, was that he could serve in the palace. Woohoo! Hmm. King... Why did he even end up there? King Nebuchadnezzar was actually trying to control Judah without actually taking it over. Now I want you to pay attention here. How is he going to do that? Best and brightest he wanted. He thought he would train the youth in the Babylonian ways for political and propaganda purposes. If they were thoroughly enculturated and educated... Then when he's 16, 17, they could send him back into positions, high positions of influence. Hmm, do you get my drift? Parents, I don't care whether your child is in a nursery or a preschool, daycare, elementary. Know what your child is being taught and what kind of enculturation is happening to your children now. Because I look at the world today and I don't see anything different. I think there's a lot of political and propaganda going on in our education also. So it's up to you as a family and the faith family to combat that, just as Daniel's parents and others had. So Daniel could have actually easily believed that, "Mm, you know what? If I just really succeed in my studies, if I obey the orders given to me, And in these three years, just really stick my nose to it to really keep my studies good. Then I will have lived up to the full potential and I will get to serve in the palace. It's not too much different than what we think. My own view, sometimes with my own children, see if anybody else can relate to this. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. If my kids, especially when they're teens, get good grades, follow the rules, and develop a really good college resume... They have the potential to really go far. When I was dating my husband in college, first weekend he took me home to meet the parents. He said, you'll see my dad. He'll ask me three questions. He'll go down to the basement to do his little hobbies, and you won't see him until I leave again. Really? Yeah. He'll say, how's your grades? How's the car running? Get downstairs. You need a haircut. You know, this is... Back in the days, 70s, you know, when the hair was down on the shoulders. I thought, no way. Guess what? I come in, 
He looks up, he kind of nods at me just to at least acknowledge that his son brought somebody home and said, how's your grades? Car running okay? Wow, get downstairs, you really need a haircut. And I didn't see him (laughs) until the day we left. Daniel, and I hope you as parents and church family have a different perspective. A deeper perspective again. Remember, things aren't always as they seem right off the bat. Even if you couldn't see my trumpet, it's there. Trust me. If you really look at it, Daniel looked also from a different perspective. He saw it through God's eyes. God's perspective of what his potential is. His God-given potential. He just wasn't a guy that was going to get the opportunity to work in a palace or fill in the blank for our kids. Oh, no. He was God's servant, and God had a plan for him. So wherever you guys are placed, it's not going to matter. God has a plan for you as a servant of God. So by trusting and having an allegiance to their God, Daniel could be faithful to his God-given potential, no matter what the circumstances. But let's return to the story. Daniel was so secure in his identity as a servant of God that he began this enculturation program by being given another name. Now, in the Near Eastern times, you received a name that was connected to a god. So your very identity is actually connected to that god, who he is. So they were given names of Babylonian gods. Scripture tells us they didn't didn't blat an eye. They chose not to fight that fight. Why? That was verse 7. Verse 8, they took a stand about what they were going to eat instead. Well, that doesn't... First appearance of that doesn't make too much sense to me at first. But there's a deeper motivation Let's see what it is. Oh, you know, he's Jewish. Maybe he has to remain kosher. Hmm. Then why would you abstain from wine that was Nazarite? And the prophets already told, if you're ever in captivity, it's impossible to remain kosher. You don't have to. So it's not about their religious kind of Old Testament kind of law things. But maybe there was something more deeper with the religious. Oh, I know. Babylonian gods, they sacrificed their, their meat and all these kinds of... Maybe this food and wine was going to be sacrificed to an idol. Well, why not the vegetables then that he did choose to eat? Anybody heard a term called pat bag? Pat bag. It's a Hebrew concept. And let me tell you what it is then. This means that if you were to eat at the king's table, you actually accepted his treaty, his covenant. So, if Daniel and his friends received the wine and the meat, all this special food that was supposed to make them so strong and handsome, they would be saying, we are placing ourselves under you, king of Babylon, for your lordship and protection. Does that make sense? Why now he would say, no way, 
we don't want your food and wine? Because Daniel was so secure in his identity and was so formed in the faith that he said, I have chosen to take a stand that it is my God, my God who created this world, my God, that these vegetables of the earth that he created, that's what we will eat. Because every time we eat this then, it's going to remind us that I'm trusting this God, not Babylonian gods, for my protection, my salvation, and for my necessities for everyday life. Now, I don't know if he ate once or three times a day, but every time he took the vegetables, it reminded him who his God was. And it was a testimony to them. I look good. I'm doing great. I haven't lost my strength. It's my God. It's my God that has done that for me. So let's look again behind these appearances of something even that even even more closely ties. Remember, they're in that process of education and enculturation and everything else that they were doing. Their minds and bodies were being fed by the Babylonian Persian court, right? But their appearance was really good. It was miraculous. They had developed a food-based spiritual discipline, a holy simplicity, a spiritual discipline of holy simplicity. We're just going to eat the vegetables. It would remind me daily of my one true God. And based on that firm faith that kept these Judean boys from believing their physical and their intellectual abilities were gifts from the Babylonian culture. They would stand firm in their faith knowing it was God, their God, that gave them their robust health, etc. So they saw God's potential for them. They didn't let the world define them. Hear me? I don't care if you're a teen or you're 90 years old. The world is always trying to form us, actually deform us, if we let them. The Babylonians really thought they were in control, but the story makes it very clear. God is the one who orchestrates everything. Daniel doesn't get angry. He doesn't get anxious when he first asks if they could just have vegetables. And the guy granted him favor. But he was afraid his head was going to get cut off. Daniel said, okay. He didn't try to control the situation. He didn't get all wigged out like I probably would have been. No. Daniel learned to wait on God. And God gave. So kids, parents, me, learn to wait on God. And then God gave knowledge and skill and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom to these guys. And Daniel even was granted the favor of understanding all kinds of visions and dreams. Daniel trusted God's perspective and power for his potential to live faithfully and prosper. I wish I could do that little thing like Star Wars, you know, have faith and prosper, you know. That's as simple as it is. It's all God's work. So ladies and gentlemen... You too must develop this sense of identity. Who are you in Christ? 
Only Christ can define who you are. Don't give power to a boyfriend, a girlfriend, an advertisement, or whatever is said online. Don't give the power there. The power, the authority is only in Christ. God defines who you are. And each and every one of us has a brilliance of the image of God in us. And the world needs it. And when we all get together, it just shines so bright. Allow us to have our identity seared by who God thinks of us. And it has to be personalized. I don't care whether you're in dance lessons or whether you're playing education, you know, trumpet or whatever you're doing. Sports, it needs to come out where you are, wherever God places us. And my guess is you guys are already doing that. Because what I know of the ministries that you have here, you're doing this. And I hope that we can continue to support you guys in these efforts too. Choose God's perspective and potential. Enter into opportunities to actually encounter God. Not just know about him, encounter God through those holy habits. Anyway, I'm going to go on of the time and I'm going to throw up one more iMagic one because maybe somebody right in the front here will be able to see this if you stare long enough at that just keep staring and staring and staring a heart will pop up this is where you need our God you enter into scripture to meet with the one who loves you to listen for his voice and have a desire to obey him. And then you take it and you live it out from God's love and perspective. Not what's done or said online, remember. And then you disciple others to do the same. Don't let your, your friends be defined by other kids or what they say. Don't even let this church be defined by what other churches say you should be and do. We go to God. We ask him. It's his mission that we're joining. So we need to learn to discern his voice. We need to obey that voice and step out in faith in order to prosper. So I wonder, people of God, consider... Take a look at these kids and all the other little kids like the Tristans and the Emilys. Take a look at them. I'm going to put a slide up here. And I have a question. And, this is, and I wonder, what role might you actually play in supporting these students and these younger ones growing up in your faith family to help them live out their call to faithful, holy living? to use their God-given potential. In a little bit of the silence as the the band comes up and all of that, I want you to do what a little four-year-old does in the silence. He meets God in the depths, and he told his teacher, several of them, there were several preschoolers, so it's not just Lois Kiefer and me. A little four-year-old boy says, God whispered on my heart, and it came out my mind. So I want you to, guys, to listen for God right now. Open your heart. 
See if God whispers anything in your heart that comes out your mind of how you can encourage and commit and pray for these kids here in the church and those who have made a commitment through the confirmation. It might be that God forms a prayer in your heart. Write it down on this little piece of card. You've got one in front of you. Write it down. Or maybe you're going to write a commitment down. I commit to pray for these kids daily. Or maybe it will be a weekly where I'm going to seek out a certain one or just seek out whoever God brings across my path of one of these kids and ask them how their life is going. What might you can pray for or join them with? Or maybe you're going to ask their whole family to say, Hey, we're going to go in the community and pack water bottles and backpacks or whatever. Would you like to join us? You will actually learn from them. I don't know what God will whisper on your heart, but whatever it is, write it down on this card. And as you're sitting there with that, I'm also going to invite you to our own spiritual discipline that has food, communion. You do this every week. This is a weekly spiritual discipline we do communally. So come. All are invited. Partake of the the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who we identify with and who we give allegiance to. Because then we have the power and the perspective of God to live out this week in our God-given potential.